Alrighty, welcome to another episode of Constructed Resources. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Luis Scott Vargas, alongside my co-host, Andrew Beckstrom. And uh, we took a bit of a hiatus. We had a, you know, little, little, little bit of trouble getting uh, scheduling right, especially since I've got uh, the Sentinel. He's five months old now, my, my son, and he uh, has certainly thrown our sleep schedule into disarray. But, uh, you know, me and BK, we got the band back together, and we're going to... Shift the focus of constructed resources just a little bit. We're still definitely going to talk about constructed. We're still definitely going to talk about the formats we play, but I think we're going to de-emphasize kind of looking at standard and uh, kind of like the current format like that. I guess that's standard alchemy historic, unless there is a reason for me to be playing those, which of course there was with the set championship last week. So we're going to be doing a little bit more trips backwards while still looking at the eternal formats and uh, kind of what else is going on whenever anything momentous uh, happens. So appreciate everyone hanging out with us and uh, we enjoy doing the show and we're going to continue doing the show uh, moving forward. But uh, we, we did take a couple weeks off, a couple weeks off to kind of reconfigure a little bit. That being said, we've got an awesome show lined up for you today, and uh, well, we can hear from BK as well. How's it going, BK? Uh, it's great. Yeah, excited to uh, to get things rolling again right now, and yeah, it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun for folks who have played maybe some of these more historical things that we talked about, um, but also for, you know, Magic is a game where a lot of times you're learning from your past experiences. Uh, to look towards the future and how to improve. And so we'll be delving um, more into topics like that. Uh, but for this week, though, there's uh, plenty to talk about. Of course, uh, we're coming fresh off the uh, the set championships that Luis competed in. Uh, there's new cards from Kamigawa Alchemy to to delve into, as well as the, you know, we still want to give our take on the modern band reaction. So, all right, Luis, should we uh, give some love to our sponsors before we get into the action? Most certainly. Uh, we, of course, are sponsored by Channel Fireball. You can head on over to ChannelFireball.com to pick up everything you need, magic-related or for other games. Channel Fireball supports Flesh and Blood, uh, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon, MetaZoo, so, and our marketplace. A lot of awesome stuff. And, of course, if you shop on ChannelFireball.com, use the code CR to help support the podcast. We are also sponsored by FTX. Uh, FTX is one of the world's leading cryptocurrency and digital asset exchanges. And uh, you can go to FTX.com or FTX.us if you're in the U.S. They've got a handy app as well for all your crypto buying, selling, and trading needs. Uh, FTX has been great to work with. I'm a big fan of them, and uh, we, we've been happy to have them sponsor the show. So once again, that's uh, FTX.com for, or FTX.us if you're in the U.S. All right, let's get this show going. All right, so let's talk about uh, – let's start things off with the deck of the week, and we're going to start by talking up. Uh, talking about your teammates deck the deck that you played in alchemy so Ely cassis uh won the set championship and in the alchemy round so that's the uh standard format plus the alchemy cards uh bringing orzov venture into the fray and so this is sort of uh, an interesting deck if for nothing else than the fact that it is playing with a number of cards that power level has been changed um through digital live balancing um, and really just in the upward direction, uh, I think it was like five different cards or something like that um, that you guys are playing with um, that are taking advantage of uh, the the buffs that they got. Um, and so this is a black-white mid-range deck um, headlined by a bunch of cards which allow you to venture into the dungeon, Triumphant Adventure, Nadar, Selfless Paladin, but then it's got a few more nice ones like Precipitous Drop, 
uh, Dungeon Descent. That Precipitous Drop is the black removal spell um, where you get to venture into the dungeon and it's minus two, minus two if normally, but if it's minus five, minus five if you completed a dungeon. So, Luis, uh, what were sort of your impressions of this deck? We'll be talking more about your testing process, but for people who are curious, uh, what made this deck sort of a, a Pro Tour winning deck list? Uh, really two things. City Stalker, Connoisseur, uh, the best card in the deck. That's the three and a black, three, three death touch. And when the ETBs, they discard their most expensive card. So that card is just a sick two for one because a three, three death toucher trades. Alchemy is a very much a mid range format where there's a lot of creatures in play. And then getting their, you know, one of their best cards generally. Also, if they have all lands in hand, like in late late in the game, it still makes them discard because that's the most expensive card. There's no non-land clause there. Of course, they can only discard land if they have no spells in hand. And then uh, the the alchemy buffs to venture cards actually did work. Triumphant Adventure is just quite a good card. Two mana, two on death touch, and then a first strike while attacking. Plus, every time it attacks, you venture, you get a little bit of value. Nadar is also is also pretty strong. That one didn't even get buffed or anything, but just the other cards around it getting buffed. Then Precipitous Drop going from three to two mana is a pretty big deal. So the deck ended up just being a strong mid-range deck with a lot of value-generating cards. And overall, it, it did what we wanted, which was beat runes. But even past that, was actually pretty good against the rest of the field. So we were really happy with the deck. And uh, congratulations to Ely for taking it down. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the Alchemy format and about your testing process. Uh, for right now, let's talk about the EGA of the week. It's our <laughs> ethical gray area of the week. And so say you're playing in a set championship or a pro, well, just really a set championship. But one of the things that we get from digital magic is we get these sort of chess clocks. And should you concede if your opponent is winning and crushing, but timing out? Um, and this was a situation that actually did come up in the tournament on camera where I, um, where somebody lost a game three just because they ran out of time in a game that they, it looks like they were winning. Um, would you ever consider conceding in a spot like that, Luis? And should you? So first of all, I don't think anyone's really obliged to. Uh, the The clock is your resource. It's kind of on you if you don't manage it well. And I, you know, I don't, I don't really. Th- I don't find that to be something that uh, it's not your fault that your opponent runs out of time. And Mm. there are a few nuances to it, though. One is I I don't love the idea of taking a bunch of like extraneous game actions, you know, to, to make them run out of time. Double blocking, for example, when it's not actually good to double block. You can do that. Again, it's within the rules, but I, I don't love it. The, the thing that makes it interesting is that the, both players were teammates. They were playing the same deck, and they had tested together. I don't know how close they were, but clearly that didn't, you know, didn't alter the outcome. But there are teammates in my life who I would have conceded to in that spot if they were going to win but run out of time, I think. It's weird because I've never played an uh, online tournament and been in that position against, like, a teammate. But I could definitely see that being the sort of thing if I'm playing against, you know, Raptor or some teammate on team CFB and it's like, well, you were obviously going to win and we're running out of time. I'm certainly not going to be like trying to time you out. And I might even consider conceding. I don't think it's bad that you don't, but it's the sort of thing that is, well, it's a, it's a, it is actually a gray area. Where, where would you land on this? It's very tricky to say, like, I, I think one of the things that ideally I'd like to be able to say, like, I just would do anything, um, out of the ordinary, 
I think one of the things that comes up that's really tough in these spots where you're playing in digital matches of Magic, whether it's Magic Online or Magic Arena, where you have to play really fast because the clock is running low, maybe for both of you, is that the adrenaline is such a big thing. And so then to be like trying to play your best, dealing with the adrenaline, having to play very quickly, and then like remembering things like, oh, wait, multi-blocking to try to make it so my opponent needs to take longer to get through their attacks is kind of more of a scummy move than it is um, you just sort of playing at your best level, even though it is literally a move that increases your chances of winning. Um, What I'm referring to there is, I I don't even know if I should be spreading this around to more people, but one of the best tricks if you're playing against someone, an opponent who's who's timing out and like um, that slows them down is that if the more multi-blocks you make, um, it will like require your opponents to kind of click through and, and confirm the ordering of the blockers. Um, and those are the kinds of things where it's like, it, it starts getting really dicey about like, well, yeah, of course it was like the play. I, I would want to block with more creatures in case they have something. And it's like, is that why you were doing that? Or is that just plausible cover for the fact that the reason you were doing it is that it would tie up your opponent and give you a better chance of winning. Yeah, I mean that's the the sort of thing where certainly not not a huge fan of taking again making bad lines for that. But on the other hand, I don't know. It's a digital game. There's a <laughs> there there is a there is a reason that we're playing on this platform, and that's kind of on you to to manage that the best you can. Right. There is an aspect of just sort of like anything goes in the sense of like all plays are legal. Like you just are allowed to do whatever you want. Um, one of my favorite. Um, examples of all time on this was in Magic Online, the flip planeswalkers, the Magic Origins planeswalkers. There was a controversy at a PTQ um, where a player was intentionally casting Hollowed Moonlight um, in response to those when the planeswalkers flip trigger was on the stack, and it's not a May. Now, it Hollowed Moonlight, um, which stops a creature. Um, from entering the battlefield if it wasn't cast it's an instant from you know six seven years ago doesn't interact with the magic origins planeswalkers at all but it was on magic online right then it was falsely exiling them when they would try to flip into their planeswalker form and it's like you some people would know that that interaction is not supposed to go that way but that's the way that magic online was handling it is it bad to do that i don't think it's not a there's this I, that one I think is worse, um, but I don't know. It's like really, it gets really weird once we get into this space of like the things that are happening in the game are not really the things that are happening in the game. Yeah, and that's just kind of a disadvantage of, well, I mean, whether it's paper or digital, they're, they're, those are the edges there that we would prefer not to see games decided by them, but you know, kind of is what it is. Yeah. All right, so Luis, let's get into our first uh, so of our main topics this week, which is talking about the set championship. It was a three-day event uh, last weekend uh, taking place in the alchemy and historic formats. Uh, this was an event that you were qualified for, um, and uh, you you played Orzov Ventures, I know, in alchemy, and is it Phoenix and historic? Um, let's start by talking about the alchemy format. Um we could talk about what the format was like. What were you sort of all expecting going into it? Um, it seemed like runes was the big talk um, going into the event with, and certainly seemed like it was going to be one of the more popular decks. 
Runes was the deck that on everyone's radar. In fact, people kind of overprepared for it. Everyone had a tons of Archons of Ameria and, and just like were ready to like, you know, beat Runes. And, and when Runes got beaten, it was the worst performance from like a most popular deck that I've basically ever seen. It won like 36% of its matches. So, uh, you know, it, we did murder it when we played against it. Our deck was, in fact, built to be able to do that. And we did. So that that's kind of how that ended up going. That being said, it turns out that preparing for black midrange was the actual way to win because in the kind of aftermath of the of the set championship, that is the deck that has that has ended up being the best. Mm. Well, that's it's pretty cool that um that you all identified what was pretty clearly the best overall archetype. So sort of taking a step back. Um, so runes did seem like it really defined a lot was going on. The way that it sort of um, seemed to be most present in the format was that most of the most played decks were white last weekend. And it was pretty nice that that gave you access to things like March of Otherworldly Light and in particular Archon of Amiria, which was one of the most played creatures in the deck. And that 2-3 flyer... Um, that prevents your opponents from casting more than one spell each turn and non-basic lands your opponent's control entering the battlefield tapped. I mean, in particular, the can't play more than one spell each turn is just absolutely devastating towards a deck that is just filled with effects that allow you to cast lots of runes and benefit from casting multiples in the same turn. Yeah, and and it it actually, you know, had utility elsewise where sometimes you just play this on the play and most mana bases at this point are tons of non-basics and you just got to to kind of time walk them, just make it so that they don't get to play a, a spell on their next turn because all their lands come into play tapped. Yep, that's a great point. Um, the mana in standard right now is extremely light on basics. And then once you get into alchemy, you're getting to add Forsaken Crossroads. This is the alchemy land. This is the one that it's like, it's sort of like in Evolving Wilds in that it enters the battlefield and you choose a color, comes into play tapped. The big difference with Forsaken Crossroads is that um, if you don't go first, it comes into play untapped. Um, It also has the scry ability when you're not having it come into play untapped. So just a lot going on with the card, but it just adds one more reason. And you all you know, took advantage of sort of just sort of how free it is to be not be playing with many basics. And we're even playing with splashing a copy of Valky God of Lies. Now, one of the other teams, they took it a step further and they were actually splashing uh, red into their sort of their white black mid range deck. Um, but that's a pretty recurring theme, like you mentioned, is how good Archon is against what people are playing in uh, Alchemy right now. Yeah. And, uh, one one of the funny thing interactions with Forsaken Crossroads, by the way, is it does actually get around the Archon because you play it, it's tapped, Jeez, but then it triggers, yes. and if you were on the draw, you could actually choose to untap it. <laughs> that is pretty f- hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it you get that, and um, it reminds me of in Modern when you can uh, when you fetch like a breeding pool in like an amulet deck, and then you could just like say no to the two life because if you have an amulet, it'll just untap it for you. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it's a funny interaction. So white was particularly um, popular partially because of how well some of the white cards lined up against the rune stack. Um, But then taking it a step further, it seemed like black midrange was a very, very strong in the format. Um, Orzov, Mardu, and Rakdos all did really well. You already mentioned uh, City Stalk Connoisseur, but that seems to be 
by far one of the biggest cards that's driving how how nice black is looking in the format right now. I mean, I think that might have been overall been it. If City Stock Connoisseur wasn't one of the most played creatures in the format this past weekend, it was probably the most successful. Yeah, and uh, certainly it's going to continue to 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 become to to grow or be, remain successful just based on how strong it is. Like it, it's really hard to to kind of go wrong with that card. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's an. I mean, we're not used to seeing um, you be able to be so precise with being able to permanently deal with a card in the opponent's hand as like an ETB on a creature. And then the fact that unlike with something like a Vendelian click or any kind of mesmeric fiend type of effect, it's not like they ever get the card back. I mean, or like at least with the late spellbinder, they can eventually cast it. And so city stalker kind of sort, and you're only giving up like a little bit in selection in the sense that yes, you can only hit the literal most expensive thing, but it's still you're still getting something very impactful, and this deck is very good at grinding with folks. Yeah, and the 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 cool thing is the adventure package is actually somewhat lean. So you once you move on to the next thing, which is probably taking out Archons of Ameria, since that they, they seem like that their their time has passed. You could keep the adventure package. You could change it a little bit. There's a lot you could actually end up doing. Yep. Well. There's and uh, we could talk about some of the cards that could come into play when we'll be talking a little bit later on about some of the new Kamigawa alchemy cards. Uh, let's move on to talking about the historic section. So, um, first of all, you all ended up on uh, is it Phoenix? And uh, of course, that meant that you played the new Rakdos uh, saga four copies. Uh, hit hit it, Segu's uh, consumes all. <laughs> yeah. Get up there. So it's basically. I would still call it Is It Phoenix. I wouldn't even call it Grixis Phoenix. We have four black cards on the sideboard and four black sources in the main deck, which uh, sounds funny, but it's because uh, you, you can actually go pretty deep with like pathways and uh, a one watery grave or, or what have you. The main reason we did that is because Phoenix is very good against control, but tends to struggle against food. The black green Golgari, you know, the Golgari food deck with Meat Hook Massacre, Cat Oven, Ravenous Squirrel, Gilded Goose, Trailer Crumbs. And Hidetsuge consumes all is great against food. It's actually worth splashing. And uh we, you know, we did, and we actually crushed food. I, I beat it twice when I played against it. Our overall win rate against food was like 60-something percent, which is much higher than the field at large's win rate against food uh when it came to Phoenix. And it worked out. I mean, it kills their oven. It kills all their food tokens. It kills their cat. It kills their goose. It kills their squirrel. And then the, the the second stage consumes all graveyards. So what ends up happening is if they don't have another way to make food in their hand that they have to play afterwards, the second stage rolls around and exiles all their cats. And even if they do, it still sets them back quite a bit. And you end up with a 3-3 three, three that, you know, with trample that has that actually does some stuff. So Overall, it was a it, it was a it was a great splash, and I would splash again uh, if you expect a decent amount of food. Fair enough. Um, yeah, some of the better performing decks were Blue Red Control, uh, the Yorian build. Um, there was it was funny how many different versions of Blue White there were in this event between Blue White oh, yeah. Affinity, Blue White Control, Blue White Rs, and then Blue White Lotus Field. Um, just racked, straight rack those Arcanist decks, and then some of the blue white Rs decks also did well alongside Phoenix. Um, compared to um, Alchemy, though, it wasn't like 
it, it wasn't anything in particular that was dominant. I mean, it certainly it seemed like folks for the most part have a pretty good sense for what they need to do to be competitive against the other top decks. You know, uh, people have a good amount of cards, whether it's for Phoenix or more graveyard hate for food in the Arcanist decks. Uh, it's not uncommon to see players playing with main deck copies of Rest in Peace in Historic. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I I lost to three Jeskai Control decks, and all three of them played Rest in Peace turn two, game one. Yeah, it's something that we've seen um, at times in the modern format. Um, but it's like, when that's happening, it's usually like... Um, well, Hogak is a card. <laughs> um, and it's not like there's any Hogak in particular in Historic right now. Um, but it's just, yeah, whether, you know, how many of the top decks that I named all had significant things going on with the Graveyard and even a deck like the Auras deck. Well, that's a Luris deck. So <laughs> more going on with the Graveyard than you might suspect. Yeah. I, ultimately, I wasn't super thrilled with Phoenix. Like, I, I did think the Black Splash was good, but... It's just a fine deck. It's not. It's not a a deck that I think is like head and shoulders above everyone else. And particularly, it felt like the control decks were hateful enough. At least the ones I played against that I ended up losing enough to control that it kind of soured me on 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 Phoenix. Unless you kind of modified it to be a little better against control. Hmm. Um. Did you have any uh, any notable games? Anything that you wanted to uh, to bring up here as we talk about? I mean, I don't think we said you, you you did you made day two, but it wasn't a spectacular run for you. After no, that. I went I went seven eight over to fifteen rounds. Uh, no, nah, I just didn't you know didn't really ever get anything going. I, I like played against this like really weird uh, red invoke body of research plus Kazul's uh, <laughs> fling Kazul's fury. Yeah. The MDFC fling. Yeah, so so the way that deck works is they play the red invoke and, and invoke calamity or whatever it is for like, you know, and play body of research, the like three blue, three green, make an XX or X number of cards in your deck, and then fling it at you. <laughs> and, and I play City Soccer Connoisseur against my opponent, uh, make them discard their last card. They have well so they had no cards in hand, they or they had like one card in hand. They play body of research, make a make a million million. Pass to me. I play City Stalker, make them discard their last card. They had actual no cards in hand. And then next turn they drew and fling me to death. So it, it was uh <laughs> that like that that was kind of how my tournament went. It was unfortunate. I, I was pretty happy with the decks we had. I mean, we had, I think, the best alchemy deck and a, at least a solid historic deck, and I was pretty happy with how I played, but sometimes it isn't your weekend and it certainly wasn't mine. Yeah. In the past, when I've had things like that happen to me in tournaments, my my response has been um, and now I know the thing I'm about to say isn't actually true, but it's like you kind of like think that like I'm going to get like beat really badly, you know, every so often in a game of magic. I'd much rather it happened to me in a run where if, even if you flip the result, I'm only going like eight and seven or something like that. I'm, I was kind of getting my like my whammies out of the way by getting in a tournament that already wasn't going my way. Yeah, I I, I agree, but it, it is unfortunate because. You know, I hate to say it, but I'm somehow in a, another world's race where the the number of match points I get, you know, there's six invites on on the, on the line for that, uh, and I went ten and five in my first set championship this this year. So another similar finish would have put me in a good position, but at seven eight, I think I'm kind of out of the running. Yeah, overall, um, 
what do you think of the set championships and sort of the structure that they're using? Um, is there anything you'd like to see different? Does it seem like it? I mean, we've been kind of doing this uh, this two constructed format thing um, for these set championships compared to what we ever saw with the Pro Tours. Yeah, I, I like the two formats. I mean, I'd rather one of the formats be draft, of course, because draft is, is really fun. But I like the two formats thing, and I would generally – you know, be pretty happy playing these. I would like to, to get back to live events. I guess in like 12 days or something, we're going to get an uh, organized play announcement, which hopefully involves live, live events. But not in love with alchemy. I think alchemy is... I, okay, here, here's what it is. The games with alchemy are fun. It was a fun format because it was like not that explored. And it was, you know, there was like a lot of these mid-range battles of, of attrition. And that I do like playing with that. We had a cool alchemy deck. It was fun to play. We, you know, it, it was overall, that part was cool. But the public at large just hates alchemy so much that watching the coverage and like seeing Twitch chat or like seeing, what, you know, when, whenever we talk about alchemy, just everyone just talk about how much they hate alchemy. Kind of makes me not want to play it because it's like... This kind of takes the wind out of my sails. Like, we just talked about this cool alchemy deck we have, and a lot of the people listening are going to be like, well, alchemy sucks. And a lot of yeah. reasons that people say that, you know, the, the, the economy of Magic Arena being a hot-button topic, uh, you know, as part of it. But it it's the sort of thing where, like, it does take the wind out of my sails, which is kind of a pattern when it comes to these tournaments where they have frequently – and this wasn't because of the format. They frequently – would hold these events a week before uh, rotation or after a set has come out, but before it's legal. And it's not just the tournament that I care about. I also care about other people caring about the tournament. That's kind of what makes the whole experience more fun. And that just hasn't lined up very much. Whereas people used to love the pro tour. And I remember just, you'd go to the pro tour, you'd start talking about the pro tour and people would just be super hype. The Twitch chat would be pretty hype. Like all that stuff is really cool. And now it's like, Oh, you're playing alchemy. That's the format I hate. And it's like, uh, yeah, that, 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 that's not the like most fun experience, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's fair. Um, I not, not sure exactly if we're going to be able to fix, uh, all of the issues with, uh, with alchemy and why people don't like it. But, um, <laughs> a, a thing that we can speak to is, uh, so something that they've done some iteration with is the, the day two or the Sunday format for these tournaments, where right now the way it works is that it's a double elimination, um, and the when it gets to the finals, you don't the person the winner of the winners bracket doesn't have any extra advantage. It's still just um, one last match, or I guess what they actually do is they do a best of three, best of three matches. So, um, which I believe is mostly just due to the fact that Arena can't uh, support non best of th- uh, like best of five match um, matches. Um, Overall, how do you like that structure for Sunday? And would you like to see that in paper compared to um, what we've been doing? I actually well, like I the structure we more. I, I think that the, yeah. the the double elimination like bracket structure is more compelling to watch. And I think I'd rather play in that as a, as a player, you know, then. Oh, I guess I did get to play it at once. I top eighted one of these, uh, <laughs> you know, online uh, Pro Tour-esque events with uh, John Sacrifice and... Yeah, it, I think it's cool to get a second bite at the apple. The, the way I look at it is the vast majority of people who make top eight at one of these tournaments are not going to make another top eight, right? It's going to be their only one. That's just, you know, I think pretty hard to argue against based on how many people uh, top eight tournaments and how often that happens. 
and getting to to play more than just one you know one match where you lose and you're done i think is actually pretty cool so i would like to actual what if you know when live events come back that they they actually borrow the structure because i think that is a is a more notable improvement i do want to say that coverage was a lot better this time i feel like they really made an effort and were really on top of it so that part is cool it just it doesn't solve the fact that the thing we were covering was just something or not we i wasn't part of it the thing they were covering was <laughs> something a lot of people are just not super into yeah i think it's i mean what we could talk certainly there's been plenty of things going on in the magic community or we could talk about um that we could talk about in this vein whether it's relating to the magic um arena economy or organized play but i think there is a bit of a um it's been hard to tell for the last couple of years that some of the things with arena and organized play have been made for the typical player, as opposed to maybe what serves the interests of Watsy in a much heavier way. Um, and I think that, I think, I think it's like the kind of thing where positive momentum can build on itself, where when players have more trust than, or when Watsy does some things, fixes a few things like we're going to maybe see the return of paper organized play in a few weeks in that announcement. Maybe we'll see um, a better attitude towards alchemy, which will make Watsy want to make it easier for people to get into than it seems like it is right now. And maybe some of these things will, will pick up, but um, yeah, I know what you're saying. The, the vibes are not great. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just, I, I, I don't know. Ultimately, I just want to have tournaments that I care about that other people are into and like that, that are just overall fun. And the set championships strike some of those boxes. Like I like testing for it. I, my, my team's awesome. It's really fun hanging out with a lot of folks who have played magic, you know, for a long time. And I know plus some new faces like that. That's a cool combination. And, uh, we built a good deck and the, the, the games were pretty fun to play. I just wish other people were a little more into it. And, uh, you know, there was something, there's a greater organized play plan. I know we're in kind of like a, a dead year in, in terms of that. But, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll see. And uh, the good news is you can uh, you can now get, you know, some wild cards for $50. Anyways. Now. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we could talk. We'll, we'll get in. We'll, we could spend some time talking about that now or um – yeah, do you want to just talk about that right now? We we weren't planning on talking about it. I don't think it, but... it needs to be a long thing, but the yeah. the, the source of frustration and what I'm referring to of course is the like, you know, highly anticipated Magic Arena economy stream where the answer was basically, "Hey, you can buy 12 rare wild cards and four mythic wild cards for $50." And you can buy, you know, there's there's mythic packs for like 1300 gold that have a mythic in them. Plus a bunch of reasons why the things people want can't happen. And <laughs> the mythic thing is the funniest part. The, just That's not even the biggest thing. The mythic pack thing is wild because every player's perception that I've ever talked to is that it's really, really easy to get mythic wild cards. And compared to how much you actually need them to like play, have like build competitive decks. And so then for the new product to be announced to be like, don't worry, this pack's definitely going to have mythics is like, I mean, maybe it's like a thing that you should sell to your players because the a nor just some players would want that regardless. It has nothing to do with people's concerns about like the system. Yeah, the all this stuff's complicated. Economy in games is complicated. I mean, we we both know we've worked on a variety of games, and it it's it's easy to get this stuff wrong. 
I also am aware that like the people doing these streams are not the people making the decisions of how the game is going to work, all of that. But the the way I see it, there's a couple things that were pretty tough for the Magic audience. One is this, regardless of what the intent of Wizards was, this was an incredibly anticipated stream. There was like multiple threads on Magic Arena or the the, Magi- the, the main Magic subreddit about like what's going to happen in this economy thread. What are they going to announce? Are they going to, you know, this is already like this pretty large groundswell of people unhappy with how expensive Arena is to play. And it, it is. So even if that wasn't – even if you weren't going to, like, announce any sort of, like, massive change to the system or anything, it wouldn't have been that difficult to, to understand that, like, everyone was looking at this and with bated breath. And maybe that should change your – or not maybe. That should change your messaging and how you approach it. Because if you don't have good news or news that you know is going to make people happier, I would reconsider doing the whole thing to begin with. You know, it just it, – it was kind of a setup. Like – the 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 result of that was everyone was mad, <laughs> and yeah, you, you gotta if you know what that's going to be the the result, which I don't think was like that hard to predict. Try your best to find some good news to tell people or a ways to like you're like, hey, we understand your concerns. Here's what we're working towards. Here was what we might do, and uh, you know, I, I hope this isn't a you know we're going to announce this at fifty dollars to anchor you, and then when we reduce it to thirty, you'll be happy. Because that that's something that has been run many times here, and that's not. At the end of the day, I think Arena should. I think it's too a little. How do I say this? I think that Arena is too expensive. I think that there are adjustments that could be made, and I don't know what those are because I'm not working on it. Right? I think I I would I would be I'm very confident that there are adjustments that could be made that would make the players happier and actually make Wizards more money than the current model. But, you know, we're, we're not in a great... I don't think we're in the best world for anyone right now where I think Wizards is actually making less money than they could. And I think the players are a lot less happier than they, they would be otherwise. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, it did seem like a, it would have been an improvement to have just not, I, not done the stream... Um, not sort of like pre-announce this announcement. Um, it did seem to like get people's imaginations and like dreams and wish lists really ratcheted up for what they thought that might contain. And I, I think, it w- yeah, like you mentioned, it was kind of foreseeable. Like it's the things that people were really excited that they might be changing with the arena economy. They're not new ideas. Um, this wasn't a shock. So you should be aware when you do the announcement of an announcement, it tends to get people's hopes up. I, I do thing. want to mention something that I mentioned in response to Saffron Olive tweet on Twitter, which is it's not just dusting versus not dusting. I think a common thing people say is, well, just give us dusting. That'll solve it. That's not really correct. Oh, uh, yeah. Ultimately, what people care about is how how expensive is it to engage with this game the way I want to? And I don't believe it should be free. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, Wizards, like every other game company, is trying to c- continue making the product they're making. And to do that, they have to make money. But what cost should it be? How should we charge people? Where should we put the, you know, different prices? And how 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 can you play the program for free versus what are the, the, the paid modes? All that stuff is, is tricky to figure out. Dusting in a vacuum isn't doesn't make it a game more or less generous because they're – 
people have this misconception that, oh, if they had dusting, they would just take the economy they have now and let you dust cards. That is absolutely not what would happen. That the economy is not built for dusting. So they're not going to like just let you also efficiently exchange your cards for other cards. What they could do is if, in the, the, you know, they like maybe remove the wild card system and then they start dust and they, and they put a dust system in, they would change reward rates and all that stuff. It could end up in a place where the game's actually more expensive to play with. There's no real way to know. It, it, it all the numbers always matter. Now, is dusting good or not? Well, I, that's a different question. I think that I think that is actually a separate question. I think there are great ways to to do dusting. Uh, it, it, you know, Eternal lets you sell your cards. Hearthstone lets you sell your cards. And then there are ways to do dusting that aren't good. But it ultimately kind of comes down to what are the rates and what behavior do you want to incentivize and I think that Wizards have made it pretty clear they don't want to do dusting, but I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is they just make it too hard to get all the cards you need to play. They make it too expensive to do that. That's the problem. It doesn't have it doesn't really have to do with dusting. Yeah, I thought um I thought Ben Brode had some interesting things to say on this topic. I definitely recommend uh checking him out if you're interested in somebody who's very thoughtful about um CCG design. He's oh, one he's of the leading for sure. Yeah, I mean, he's he's one of the the leading sort of he's one of the most influential forces ever in Hearthstone's history, and there's a lot of trade offs associated with these things. Like, even and so it, it's difficult to ever distill it down. Um, it does feel like, and then it's you know these systems are are very challenging because the systems have a lot of trade offs, and then there's a lot of different types of players. You know, one of you know one of the things that people brought up was that if you're a limited player, it's actually very easy to get cards because you play. You have to spend money to kind of keep going, but you get rewards back, and then you are also just building up a collection. And it's like, well, it doesn't even really matter for those limited players that they got those constructed cards. And for the constructed players, it's like the totality of your, like your experience is like. Just you just kind of have to keep putting money into the ATM if you want to be able to play with more things because it's not that rewarding towards progressing in the game to play constructed. So, all right, um, <laughs> well, we'll leave it there for for that topic. Uh, let's talk just briefly. We can talk about a couple of our favorite um, Kamigawa Alchemy uh, cards. These are the thirty new cards that were released last week as part of Kamigawa Alchemy. The first one I wanted to bring up is a uh, Painful Bond. And this is just a, a very, very strong card. It's one and a black for sorcery. You get to draw two cards and then each spell in your hand that costs three or more perpetually gains. This spell um, costs one life to cast. And so what we're talking about essentially, if you're building your deck that's very a very cheap black deck, you're typically not even, you're just going to be getting a two mana draw two with very little downside. And it, it tends to be as well that the cheaper your deck is, the more it's looking to dominate early on in the game. And so you're going to be better off at sort of not um, being able to shrug off the uh, the life total swings. And so this is going to be a very interesting card, um, in particular for black aggro decks and historic and alchemy. Yeah, I, it is funny how frequently they're they're making, it feels like more frequently making card draw that's good for 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 cheap aggro decks but i don't mind that that's a cool that's a cool angle to take like expressive iteration rewards you i mean that card's just kind of busted so it's obviously just great no matter what but <laughs> yeah. but it does reward you for playing cheaper and more proactive cards it's stronger in the you know like the 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 various uh 
like Death Shadow style of decks or, or Dragon Raids Chandler style of decks than it is in a control deck. And uh, Painful right. Bond definitely kind of follows that pattern. Yep. Yeah, exactly. I mean, keep in mind, once again, Lurus is still legal in Historic. And yeah, this is a fantastic card with Lurus because you already had a ton of incentives to not be playing with cards that cost more than two in a Lurus deck. Um. Actually, it's the funny companion that, mechanic, it's kind of confusing, though. Is that is that a Namba with a draw, too, since you kind of want to get to Luris first as your card draw? But it's always <laughs> fine if Luris ever shows up in a game. Yeah, I, I don't think it's a Nambo. I think that this card will be good in decks that want to play Luris. Um, it, it's, yeah. it's funny that I think another one of the strong Alchemy cards is actually very similar. It's Undercity Plunder. So mm. this is one in a black. It's a sorcery. Target opponent discards a card. Then, if they, then they may discard an additional card. If they don't... Conjure a duplicate of a random card from your library in your hand, and you may and you may spend uh, mana as though it were any color to cast this spell. So it's two mana. They discard a card, and then if they don't discard a card, you draw a card, basically. And it, uh, that's a. I mean, that's a that's a powerful effect for two mana. It's probably not as good as Painful Bond, but it is. It is certainly not a weak card. Yeah, no, um, it's uh, it's an interesting one. Um, the next one I want to talk about is a card I think could be really, really strong um, in both formats. Um, Kami of Bamboo Groves. And this is a one-mana enchantment creature that has the Arboreal Grazer text. Uh, it costs just a green mana to play. So you, it enters, it lets you put a land from your hand into play tapped. Um, the upside on Kami of Bamboo Groves is that it is an enchantment creature. It's a 1-1, one, one, and it has a channel ability of 2 and a green, discard Kami of Bamboo Groves, conjure two forests into your hand. So that's, you're basically, you're getting to play with a draw 2 that gets two forests that also is just a busted card when you have um, one of your nut draws on the play in any sort of green deck that's playing with like, oh my God, like Oko with this card is just so gross. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know that Oko needs help, but yes. <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it, it is a weaker body than Grazer. An O3 Reach is quite a bit better than a 1-1 in most of the decks that play this, the decks that, that actually want this sort of thing. But it, getting to 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 turn this into two forests is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's like I love how like when the 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 two halves of the of when the cards are good are just sort of like describing like two two sides of the coin, so you know, like either one side is up at all times. Like some modal cards, it's just like guess what mode of the this card is good this game. Absolutely nothing, not even close. You know what I mean? But with this card, it's like you are you how yeah, what do you have? You either have extra lands to put into play and you want them fast, or you'd love to have a card draw effect. And yeah, it's good. It's good in, both in the great. exact situations that don't overlap or tend not to overlap. Like two copies of this card together are very nice. It it perfectly evens out. You play the first one on turn one and it gets you up to your third land on turn two for you to draw two more forests and so what that means is you basically got a rampant growth effect on turn one without with the only downside being is that you're gonna have to pay it off on turn two yeah but you don't have to pay it off on turn two you just can if you have a good three drop you get to play the good three drop whether it's like a love struck beast or a steel leaf champion or um something like, like if a Nissa, like a nissa voice of zendikar if that card were ever in a start 
I, I, I think that, that, that this card certainly pushes the like high land count ramp decks in a pretty interesting direction. I'm curious if Alchemy can support that. Like I, I yeah, we, we we haven't really seen much of that. Another card that actually could pair with this. In an we did way. when we did when we had Field of the Dead, but it got that's, banned. That's true. Uh, like that was the best deck in Historic at one point, I think. But who knows? It's been a few years. <laughs> yeah, uh, Forceful Cultivator is another card which is kind of interesting in the same vein. Two green green for a two three uh, Snake Shaman, but it costs two less to cast if there's no lands in your hand. And it goes and uh, puts a basic land from your deck into onto the battlefield tapped. So if everything goes right, it's green, green, two, three ramp, which is, of course, incredible. It, it's got a lot of ways, you know, <coughs> often you're, you, you might have to cast this for four mana, but you want the effect the most when when it's the cheapest. It's a kind of cool combo with the Kami where you're like, turn on Kami, Bamboo Groves, put a land into play, draw, play a land. Now I have no lands and then I just play the Cultivator. Yeah. This card kind of breaks my brain every time I read it, but honestly, this whole cycle kind of does. Yes, the there there is a cycle of like this is this costs two less when you don't meet a certain condition or whatever. Yeah, yeah. When you when you meet the condition of not having things, I'm more often reminded of things I have and have done than the things that I haven't done. But I guess you could say having no instanced sorceries in your hand is also a thing. Um, but yeah, the, I did pick out another one from the cycle because this one's a little bit different than the other ones, I would say. Um, Moth Rider Cavalry, it two white, white, and a uh, two, two flyer. Your other creatures get plus one, plus one while you have Moth Rider Cavalry, and it costs two less, so it's only costing you white, white. If you have no other creature cards in your hand, or if the only creature card in your hand are Moth Rider Cavalries. So you can play this in a token aggro deck, and you get like a really strong, glorious anthem. It's a very interesting take on like an intangible virtue. I think you could also play this card in just normal like creature decks that are just where this is your top end. But my guess is that it's actually the best place for it is in some kind of token aggro deck. Yeah, that, that makes the most sense because it, it kind of cheats the uh, the ability pretty nicely there. Yeah, you, you should literally be able to build your deck with just Moth Rider Cavalry as it 100% of the time it costs white, white. Whereas I don't think that's really true for the other ones in this cycle. Well, e- even if it's not 100% of the time, it doesn't have to be 100% of the time to be good. No, it's just like each of them, their version, the mode where you're getting it. I The versions when you have to cast them or you are casting them for their full cost, I guess they're not terrible with Cyba Siphonier. Maybe you're just holding up. Yeah, I don't know. Moth Rider Cavalry is the only one of the cycle I think is actually good. I think that might actually be a good card. The other ones don't look very good to me. I don't know where you're. Yeah, well, I guess we'll, I guess we'll, we'll see. All right. Um, are you, and then, uh, oh, the last one I liked was Consuming Oni. There's a lot of – the black cards kind of have a similar vibe to them. This is a, a four-mana – <laughs> yes yeah mitigate the drawback uh four mana six six flying menace ogre demon at the beginning of your end step a random non-land card in your hand perpetually gains when you cast the spell you lose three life so it's kind of like saying at the end of your turn lose three life except not exactly you kind of can also like discard cards in the future to prevent the- it's a very like weird card um it's very big. It does seem like this could be a better top end than something like Rankle, but I don't know. 
Yeah, you you also can just get hellbent and then and then not care about it. You know, six six flying menace is pretty big for four mana. Does interact poorly against removal spells. Like there's just a lot of decks that can just kill this for two mana. So that you know, vanishing verse or uh, power would kill any of those things. So I, I would be a little a little worried about that. Yeah. Yep, that's legit. All right, um, and then last, Luis, before we uh, go this week, we can talk a little about the reaction to seeing uh, Lurus finally banned. Obviously, uh, we've been we've been talking about companions for the entirety of this show's history. Uh, Lurus was just an absolute wild card in modern. It came in and just was was so dominant right away. Everyone's immediate reaction was like, "Wow, this looks busted for like a Death Shadow kind of deck," and then. They made Luris, and it's been just kind of busted for death, sh- like for cheap aggro decks in, in modern. Um, whether it be all the way from like hammer combo decks to death shadow decks. Yeah, I, I shed no tears over Luris getting banned. I think it is great that it does, and uh, I think that it's going to improve modern or already has, you know, from watching it. So that I think that's pretty sweet. I. Uh, I'm just still kind of baffled by, by, by the fact that companions exist, but at least at the rates they did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, uh, is this, I guess this is going to be a first, Louis. Loris is the first card that's ever been like double banned. What do you mean? Well, they banned the original version for a version and then oh, reprinted yeah. it as a card that costs three more. And then they yes. banned that one too. Yeah. So the 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 fact that they added three mana to the cost and still ended up banning it in a powerful format as like modern, is, yeah, it is pretty wild. But it breaks a lot of the rules of magic. It Costs does. are a lot less fake in a world where it's your eighth card. The yeah. opportunity cost of the eighth card continues to remain low. Like it turns out you're giving up a sideboard slot or meeting these deck building restrictions is just like, yeah, it's an eighth card. Even a terrible eighth card is an eighth card. Oh yeah. I mean, the number of people who play Kahira in their control decks uh, sideboard is, uh, is certainly a testament to that. <laughs> yes. No kidding. No kidding. So uh, Luris is out. Yorian remains. Kahira remains. And, you know, we move on in modern. I, I think the, um, the strong decks that were using Luris, whether they're Death Shadow or the Hammer decks, I would bet are still just fine in the format. Um, I, I do think totally. that this this does um, pull back a little bit on Burn. I, I always thought Burn um, with Luris was like it was pretty incredible to me, like how good Luris was even in a deck like that. Yeah, it, I mean, just getting extra an extra game plan, an extra extra material. Like I, I, you know, part of the strength of white black ores and historic is like, I remember playing against it with control decks. When, when we, you remember when we played that like anti Jun Sack Obzon deck, the like Obzon Yorian like just ridiculous Yasharn deck, uh, pig blade. Jesus I believe, Christ, I believe is what it was called. Uh, did I play that deck or did you play that deck? I I, I played that deck. It actually ended up being pretty good, but uh, okay. I don't think I, I think I was out by then, but yeah, yes. that's. But I remember playing that deck full of like removal and all this against white, black ores and every game. It was just like, you'd kill their stuff. They, they, if they stuck a two drop, you lost. If they killed all their, st- you killed all their stuff. At some point they just put Luris in their hand and they go Luris Kai's ghost form. And it just like, 
just the whole game was just, oh, if I can't deal with Luris, I lose every game. And yeah, Luris is just uh, just quite the card. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard arguments that it is the second best magic card of all time. All right. I mean, there's there's probably a lot of caveats to, to get in there. But yeah, yeah, it's a good card for sure. Like, it's weird because it doesn't have to meet the standard of being in people's main decks. But it's like, um, it it was like really dominant in Vintage in oh, yeah. its original form. I mean, Lotus it's like, is just absurd, right? You, you used to be able to go, if you ever had Lotus in your opening hand, you're just like, Lotus, play Luris. Replay Lotus off Luris and then you know, go from there. One of the reasons for me, and I think for some people, why it's like pretty wild when you see a card like an Oko um, showing up in something like Vintage and Legacy even, um, even as players who don't play that format, is there's an element of we see these cards be absurdly strong in Standard and Pioneer and Modern or Stark, the formats that we live and breathe and touch every day and day. And then you're like, wow, this card seems great. But is it one of the goats? Then it's like, oh, no, it goes back and plays in Legacy, plays in Vintage, and it is absurdly strong there. And you're like, oh, okay, I guess this is just one of the literal best Magic cards that has ever been printed because it it's just both holds up well within its time and historically. And that you can't say that of a lot of cards um, that even there's been a lot of great cards in standard, but cards like Luris and Oko um, and like once upon a time, but a few cards from the past couple of years, it's like they've actually gone back and it's like they're legit all-stars in old formats. Yeah. I mean, it, it was it's such it's so weird because I used when I came back to play Magic like ten years ago, um, I did not have the experience it felt like of playing against like all time defining cards. Like the sets I and blocks from like the first part of last decade, I don't feel like really were like that. But then the last five years has just been wild. Yeah, they well, I mean we, we've talked about this before, but they certainly just. W- Empty, you know, turn the dial to eleven when it came to card power levels. Uh, 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 not, not that, not that long ago. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll be do it for uh, for our CR this week, Luis. Uh, I felt like we d- did a good job of getting the rust off. And uh, oh yeah, if excited to hear uh, if for as always, we are always ex- like seeing um, uh, show suggestion topics, whether it's in our Discord or to us on Twitter. Um, the things that you guys are interested in hearing about or curious about learning more about in the game is what we're here for. Definitely. So, uh, you know, just reach out. I'm at LSV on Twitter. BK is at ABEXT. And uh, you know what? We will see you next week. <laughs> of course, we've got to thank our sponsors, but I just wanted to make that clear. Uh, yeah. <laughs> com. Uh, for all you need magic or other card related, it's a marketplace. You can go to there and shop from tons and tons of different stores, hundreds of them. And, of course, FTX, if you want to buy, sell, or trade any sort of digital assets, cryptocurrency, NFTs, the like, that's uh, FTX.com or, if you're in the U.S., FTX.us. And as I said before, we'll see you next week. Uh, Yeah, so, Luis, uh, before we go, um, I know a bunch of people went through an experience this week that maybe they hadn't gone through before, mm-hmm. which is the experience of being blocked on social media and being aware <laughs> that you've right, been blocked right. on social media. Sure, um, sure. And yeah. And so 
if you know you, you know what we're talking about, just that there was like a thing about when people were talking about arena and stuff that a prominent member of the community was blocking people who disagreed with his take or liked a tweet of somebody who was like disagreeing vehemently with them. And and some people were frustrated that they were getting blocked for somebody for just liking a tweet. And well, I don't really have a lot of nice things to say about how generally people were acting in that situation, the way that all went down and how that looked. I do think in general, you should just be totally okay. If somebody just wants to block you um, and that you could just always not engage with that person that at the end of the day, everybody just, it makes sense that they have the right to control what they see and to not have to hear from somebody you know, if you don't want to hear what somebody else has to say, it's your right to not hear it and move away from that situation. Nobody has the right to say anything to you um, or for them to, you know, force you to listen to them. Um, so just because you may have not liked how things were going and how that person was acting in that situation, I think in general, like trying to imply it's like ethically or like morally wrong for somebody to block somebody else on social media. I think if you just don't want to deal with somebody and you're just letting them know that I just don't want to interact with you and I'm just upfront with you about that, I think that's just totally fine and you just accept it and move on. Yeah, I totally agree. You can curate your social media however you want, uh, but I don't know. There, it just depends what what you want to get out of it. There's you know, it, it, it's like the arena question. At the end of the day, like. Wizards is going to decide what they want to get out of Arena and make their actions that try to get them that. If you want to curate your social media for a certain experience, and then you get to do that. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think I think for the most part people get that, but I think maybe they're sometimes not prepared for what the the consequences of what that looks like, which is like sometimes somebody's just going to be maybe acting like acting dismissive of you, rude of you, what it comes across that way to you, but you just have to let them do that. It's just, there's once they've said like, I literally don't want to hear from you. You just have to move on. It's just, you, it's not your right to get to force them to, uh, to not live with the consequences of that decision. <laughs> so how, how does the saying go? Uh, w- when you wrestle with the pig, you both get dirty, but the pig loves it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like even if it is true that all that's going on here is they're just trying to get a rise out of you, it's like if you just come back hard at them, you're also just giving them what they want. So even if your accusation is true, you're still acting the wrong way. Yeah. Like it's yeah. I mean, I I blocked you once to get a rise out of you, and then you real, and then I unblocked you and unfollowed you, and then you uh, you didn't even realize you weren't following me for a while. But I think I wasn't tweeting ever. Also, yeah, that's why I didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I probably did reply at you, <laughs> or or you wouldn't get a notification. I mean, I, I guess I don't know what your notifications are set up like. What, what, Do you only get notifications? You've seen Mad Men, right, BK? Yeah, what's that? <laughs> You're like, you know, I feel sorry for you. And I'm like, I don't think about you at all. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And that's Very the show. Good.